I'm Emily Hawthorne, a Middle Eastern North Africa analyst at Stratfor, and this podcast is brought to you by Stratfor Worldview, the world's leading geopolitical intelligence platform. Individual, team, and enterprise memberships are available at worldview.stratfor.com slash subscribe. Pakistan on the Indus River has the largest irrigation network in the world. That river is extremely vital to their economy. And Pakistan is another country that's undergoing severe water stress because of overuse and increasing populations. Welcome to the Stratfor podcast, focused on geopolitics and world affairs from Stratfor.com. I'm your host, Ben Sheen. When we approach analysis and forecasting here at Stratfor, we always begin with geography. How do mountains, plains, mineral resources, etc. shape or constrain a nation's foreign policy or its political imperatives? Then we build upon that model. One of the geographic challenges all countries must address is water. Simply water sources, water quality, and most importantly, water scarcity. In this episode of the podcast, Stratfor South Asia analyst Faisal Pervez and senior science and technology analyst Rebecca Keller discuss the challenges of water security with a particular eye towards India, Pakistan and the Indus Water Treaty. Thanks for joining us. Hi, I'm Faisal Pervez, a South Asia analyst here at Stratfor, And today I'm joined by my colleague, Rebecca Keller, a senior science and technology analyst, to talk about water, geopolitics, and South Asia. Rebecca, thank you for joining me. I'm really excited about this discussion. This is one of those subjects when we talk about water, there tends to be a lot of misconceptions, and there's a lot of words that gain a lot of traction in the press. And I think that you can help sort of demystify some of these concepts, right? So just a couple things that I was thinking about is that you hear water scarcity, water stress, droughts, and then, of course, water wars. Can you kind of unpack what people mean when they're using those terms? Yeah, absolutely. So water stress and water scarcity actually have very technical definitions when you're looking at you know, how to define how much water a country has per capita. It's just different levels of how much water is available. So for instance, severe water scarcity, what you think about a desert, that's less than 500 cubic meters per person per year, which is kind of an, an abject random number that you can't really think of in right. your head. But the way I would think about it is anything that's stressed. So anything that has a limited amount of water. And that doesn't mean that water is not available. Right. It means that you're using more water than is available or renewed in a given year. So it may look like water's coming out of your well at home or coming out of the well, but if it's not being put back into that groundwater source or if that river isn't replenishing itself, that's overuse or mismanagement of water. And that's really what we're talking about. So this is interesting because 71% of this earth is water. Right. In a global sense, we have so much water. And so then when you get to stuff like agriculture and farming, what are the sources of water that people use? That's a great stat that 70-ish percent of the world is water, but a very small fraction of that is fresh water. So salt right. water isn't usable for agriculture or, not or consumption. All. No, not like the, the water that's coming out of the oceans. No, you need to desalinate it. 
So there is desalination technology and cost-wise, that's starting to become more usable in, in certain parts of the world. But for agriculture, you're really looking at groundwater, so wells, or surface water, which is rivers, lakes, or rainfall. And that's a very small portion. The small portion that is freshwater, a lot of that's still trapped in ice for now. In theory, the areas in the world that would grow stuff would be the ones that have the most water, but that's not always where the populations are. So it's this whole balance of resources where you're looking at how to feed populations and how to support these populations that sometimes outgrow the resources that are available. China and India are big examples of where the populations are starting to outgrow the resources. India, we think of as a lush, green, wet place at times, but it's one of the most water-stressed countries in the world in the sense that they are overusing the resources that they have. If we take the India example mm -hmm. and say you're a policymaker, you get the note across your desk that water stress, yeah. we're using too much water. What are solutions and steps that can be taken? So water policy is one of the most controversial kinds of policy in the entire world. And it's funny because it's a very domestic issue. It's a very local issue, right. but it's also a global issue. Like every country in the world has some sort of water stress issue in one of its regions. But because water is almost universally viewed as a right versus a commodity, it's really hard to make policy where it's easier to, to treat it like a commodity, like price it to its true value. That would be one way to better manage it. You install different technologies, better irrigation systems. Even dams are a way to regulate water and make it more reliable throughout the year, but they have their own political and environmental issues to look at as well. So there's several solutions. There's different allocations of water to different regions, but all of that comes down to it. people view it as a right. And it's hard to get the political and social will behind that in order to implement those kind of policies that would restrict water usage in any way. There are some societies in the world that still rely a lot on agriculture for employment, and India and Pakistan are actually two good examples of that. Obviously, in a typical economic development, you begin with agriculture, but then you sort of transition into factories, then eventually transition into services. And as you and I have talked about, India is an interesting case study there in that they began with agriculture, and although they tried industrialization, it's an incomplete success. And yet at the same time, they build a robust services sector. Now, the agriculture part is very interesting because I know you and I have talked more about this in terms of the monsoons. Right. And in these sort of societies, there seems to be an overwhelming dependence on the rains. If you get good rains, then you get crops. But if you don't get strong rains, then you have a weaker crop output that year, and that can really affect your economic growth. And so what I'm wondering is that many countries have overcome this problem. And you mentioned this other term, and you know some people may be familiar, but just to sort of sharpen the definition, irrigation. Mm -hmm. That's another term that I think is thrown out a lot. Right. So basically, watering the crops with something other than rain would be okay. the, the simplest definition. So you can use canals that, that bring water to your crops, and those can be lined. They can be just dirt canals, depending on what kind different water will seep into the ground at different rates. You can have drip irrigation, which is a much more modern, advanced technology. For listeners, it would almost have this in your garden sometimes. It's okay. like little lines that bring the water directly to the roots of the plant. And irrigation is something India is sort of associated with a first step in modernization of agriculture. And it doesn't make you as to the mercy of the weather quite as much. There's still some there. It's not perfect, but you're not as reliant on the monsoon cycle. But that being said, irrigation in India is highly reliant on groundwater. There's a lot of government subsidization and, and support for the agriculture sector. And for the fuel it costs to pump water up from the ground. And all that support pushes farmers to use the water more. 
and overuse the water. And that's sort of where India has found itself. Rice in particular is one sector where they've really had a government push to grow rice, but that's really up the irrigation requirements as well and hurt the water resources. As you're talking about this, I'm also thinking about contamination. Mm -hmm. Especially with agriculture, the fertilizers will also seep into the ground. So if there's a misuse of fertilizers, that can also contaminate the water. The Ganges River, I'm switching from ground to surface, but the Ganges River has a large volume of water, but it's not all consumable because of the pollution. Such a major example of an extremely large body of water where the volume numbers on paper don't correlate to the usable volume on the ground. Mm, That makes sense. Yeah, you're mentioning the Ganges, and this reminds me of a factoid about India and Pakistan, that name India. It actually actually derives from the river Indus, yet most of that river now is in Pakistan and that's where it exits. And, you know, when when you look at India and Pakistan, obviously we recently had the 70th anniversary of the partition. Hasn't been the best relationship. There's been wars. I mean, we had, as soon as India and Pakistan gained independence, you had the first war over Kashmir. And then in 1965, you had the second war over Kashmir. And then in 1971, a war in which the eastern wing of Pakistan became another country, Bangladesh. And then finally in 1999, a mini war, but again, it was in Kashmir. There tends to be a lot of attention on the political part of that situation. And it was interesting to me to think about the water angle to this as well. And if you look at a map, you actually see that all of Pakistan's major rivers cross through India. And this is where maybe you can illuminate this concept of the riparian, the upper riparian state and the lower riparian state. And mm-hmm. what, what does that mean? So riparian just means the inclusiveness of the river basin. So states that are higher up on the river flow, they basically control the start of the river. So they have the ability to block the water from moving down to lower riparian states. So that puts the lower riparian states in a naturally weaker position in terms of water use and water management. Now, India... And- and Pakistan along the Indus River have actually had one of the most functional water treaties, the Indus Water Treaty right. throughout history. It actually has survived numerous wars, but we're seeing it being used as sort of a political tool right now. And, you know, Pakistan objecting to dams that India is building and the like. I was going to say that on the subject of dams, and again, this, I think for some people might be a more technical topic. And just so I have a better understanding, what is the big deal If you are the upper state and you build a dam on a river that's going to the lower state, I mean, why is that a big deal? Right. It depends on the type of dam. So run of the river dams, in theory, should allow the river to continue going to the lower state. So there doesn't have to be a cutoff, but there can be a cutoff. It gives you control and the ability to cut off water flow to the lower state. If it has a reservoir as well, there is always going to be a period of time where you slow the flow of the river to fill that reservoir. And that's a particularly sensitive time for the lower state because it's going to alter the flow of the river. Now, in the Indus Water Treaty, India is technically not using all of the water that's allocated to them. So in theory, like they don't have to violate the treaty to to do something that could still hurt Pakistan. Now, the other thing we, we were talking about irrigation before, Pakistan on the Indus River has the largest irrigation network in the world. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so that river is extremely vital to their economy, especially, you know, they're also a major rice exporter. And so for that, rice is one of the more a crop that requires significant levels of irrigation. So that's definitely on the list of things that worry. And Pakistan is another country that's undergoing severe water stress because of overuse and increasing populations. Wow, this is this is very (laughs) interesting. Um, There's something about this, the the dam idea that I find very interesting. (laughs) Is it possible to literally cut the flow off of a river entirely? Not entirely, but you can slow it to the point where okay. it's not useful anymore. Like you'd have to have a reservoir, honestly, to cut it okay. off entirely. And that would only be temporarily. There are limits of physics. You're going to have the pressure <laughs> coming up against it. 
but it does give you control over right. the flow of the water. And it's that control, regardless of the technicalities of how the dam works, that's the politically threatening idea in all of this. We'll get back to our conversation about water scarcity issues with Stratford's Faisal Pervez and Rebecca Keller in just one moment. But if you're interested in more on this topic, visit us at Stratford Worldview. We dedicated an entire series of analyses on the issue of water scarcity around the globe, from South Asia to Saudi Arabia, the Great Lakes to South America and far beyond. We'll include a link to our water scarcity series in the show notes. And if you're not already a Worldview member, you can learn more about individual, team and enterprise access at worldview.stratfor.com slash subscribe. Now back to our conversation with Stratfor's Faisal Pervez and Rebecca Keller. Going back to this concept of water wars, mm-hmm. um, I guess in theory, the idea is that as a population in a region grows, and if that particular country does not institute the appropriate irrigation mechanisms, that that stresses the water supply more, and that that therefore places a higher incentive on conservation, and that can have certain costs. If the water stress is increasing, the populations are growing I mean, what is the long-term solution for these countries? Right. So that's actually what we're starting to see. So water water wars is a term we actually are very cautious about using. There are very few areas in the world where two countries would fight over water. There are areas in the world, however, I mean, and there there are some, don't trust me, the Middle East is, is one of those those places, but there are also areas in the world where it will be one factor in, in an ongoing conflict. But it's also countries that don't really have the monetary capability to do anything about it. Syria and Yemen are the two examples that come to my mind of wars or conflicts that have a component of water scarcity in them. There was a resource that the population just couldn't sustain itself, and it brought about tensions that were already boiling for other reasons as well, or it contributed to rising tensions. But as far as like fighting over water resources that still exist, Pakistan and India are still a place where that can contribute to ongoing tensions. And that's the place we're seeing tensions. You brought up Kashmir, but it's been a topic uh, we've been talking about a lot lately on our team, the dynamic between India, Pakistan, Russia, China, the US. It's a real convergence point. And I'd love to hear your opinions on that. Yeah, well, the interesting thing about that is that when I think about India and Kashmir and Pakistan in particular, I think that you mentioned the political use. And I remember last year that in September, There was an attack in which India accused Pakistani militants crossing over into its side of Kashmir. And as India was mulling a response, one of the things they said was that, why don't we revisit the treaty? And I think, as you were saying, the revisitation of that treaty was not based on the idea of let's just shut the water off. I think what India was saying was that let's try to increase the amount of water we are legally allowed to use. And even that became a big point of contention, because as you were suggesting for Pakistan, any increase, and this is where I'm actually, and I'm asking you about this. I mean, is this like a zero something? Like if India increases their water, that Pakistan, that's all the water they don't get, right? In theory, yeah. I mean, again, it's this weird math. There's renewable resources, but then there's reserves. It's it's a matter of sustainability as well. So the zero something can get tricky. Right. Because, you you know, you have different rainfall each year and whatnot. But it's stopping flow of water on a river that Pakistan uses, I think, right. is the way to think about it. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think, yeah, going back to your question, though, I think as you and I talk about water issues, it just gives me another layer 
to always keep in the back of my mind as I'm stating the broader dynamics, because as you were alluding to, if you look at South Asia region right now as a whole, I mean, there's some interesting confrontations that are happening, right? I mean, we've written a lot about this on the site in terms of India, China, mm -hmm. having their standoff on the Dokolam Plateau right now. Even more recently, we were talking about the idea that India has at least floated the idea of building a road in Kashmir. And I think a lot of times when we talk about Kashmir, that topic is dominated by India and Pakistan, but people forget that there's a third country that owns a small piece of Kashmir, and that's China. China has a stake in that region as well. And China is one of the best dam builders in the world. <laughs> really? Yeah, absolutely. They're, that, they're one of the technolo technological leaders in dam building. It's a tool they've used elsewhere in the world, especially like along the Mekong uh, Delta in Southeast Asia. They've used dam building in those nations as a political tool as well. Okay, so when you say that they're very good at dam building... The engineering aspect, that whole the So like literally the technical yeah. sophistication of their dams is better than... You know, other someone yeah. else's dams. Yeah. Well, again, it, it, that's, a, that's a very important fact in my eyes just because it puts a bow on the conversation, which is that when we're talking about water, when we're talking about dams, you see this intersection of many, many different topics... Natural resources, which by definition implies scarcity, which also then implies money and cost. Then, as we talk about in India-Pakistan context, those things then have to be considered against a backdrop of political long and rivalries that a lot of times have erupted into war. And then you're talking about in the China example as well that, again, having the technical mastery over being able to build uh, infrastructure like this can really give you a great advantage. So much more, I think, on this subject certainly to explore look forward to you know thinking and talking more about this so rebecca thank you very much for the conversation i really great. appreciate it thank yeah. you that's it for this episode of the stratfall podcast to explore the issue of water scarcity and how it constrains nations further be sure to visit us at stratfall worldview we'll include some related links in the show notes and if you're not already a Stratfor Worldview member, you can visit us at worldview.stratfor.com slash subscribe to learn more about individual, team, and enterprise-level access. Worldview members can also contribute to this conversation in our members-only forum. And if you have a comment or an idea for a future episode of the podcast, email us at podcast at stratfor.com or give us a call on 1-512-744-4300, extension 3917, to leave a message. And if you have a moment, also consider leaving us a review on iTunes or wherever you subscribe. We appreciate your feedback and it also helps others discover the podcast. Thanks once again for joining us. For more geopolitical intelligence, analysis and forecasting that brings global events into valuable perspective, follow us on Twitter at Stratfor.